It's a bad world out there. So take solace in the word on Solace Radio. And in John 1, 1, he's the light that lights everyone who comes into the world. And when we look at the book of Revelation, first thing John sees, light. Uh, I think one of the interesting things is in, uh, and I'm not sure this is on your notes. I know I added one verse, but the first verse we have here is Second uh, Samuel 22, 29. It says, you, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> Who's the lamp? Right there. He says, you are my lamp. And what does John see in Revelation? A lamp. Okay. And you are my God who lightens my darkness. Now look at Revelation 1, 12 through 14 again. It says, John turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with golden sash about his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the war of many waters. So here in the book of Revelation, as we're studying it, the first thing he sees is seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand is one like the Son of Man referring to Yeshua. And I think it's interesting in 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-nine, he says, you are my lamp, O Lord. You're the one who lightens my darkness. This is why in John 1, Four through nine, it says, in him was life, and the life was what? And that's what we fight with, light. We fight with the light, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness could not overcome it. Uh, And then it goes on to say, the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. In other words, everyone who is born, in one sense, has the light of Yeshua inside. As a matter of fact, this is why in John 8, 12, again, Yeshua spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. We'll have the light of life. It's like he's your flashlight and the batteries never run out. Okay, Yeshua is your light in the darkness. Uh, it's the candle of the Lord. And the, uh, the Psalms talks about the light of the Lord searches our hearts. Okay. Uh, and then... Revelation. Let's go now to where we're at. Chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the assembly in Philadelphia. That's not Pennsylvania. This is over in Turkey. Right. These things says he that is holy, that is true. And look what he has. He has the key of David that opens and no one can shut it and shuts and no one can open. I think it's interesting that it's to the assembly of Philadelphia. He has the key of David. Now, when John saw that, guess where he got it from? Isaiah. He had read Isaiah. Look at chapter 22, verse 22 and 23 of Isaiah. It says, in the key of the house of David, I will lay upon his shoulder he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place and he will be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And so here, Yeshua is that key of David. Uh, Revelation 3, 8, 
He says to Philadelphia, I know your works and behold, I have set before you what? An open door and no one can shut it. You have just a little strength and you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. In other words, what he's saying to them is, hey, it's yours. Take it. The door's open. Run. And that's what we need to realize. There's the verse that isn't on your notes that I want to tie in here. First, let's look at Revelation 3.9. Let's go there first. Behold, listen to what he says to this assembly. I will make them of the assembly of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Wow. Remember at Smyrna, the second church, there were those there, you know, the the whole church itself wasn't uh, called bad, but they had people there who had believed that they were Jews when they were not, okay? Well, here at Philadelphia, look at this. He's saying, I'm going to make those that are like that come and worship at your feet to know that I have loved you. So in other words, the non-Jews have to realize that God loves the Jewish people. So write this verse down. This is a verse you don't have that I want to add. This is Jeremiah 31, verse 3 and 4, if you don't have that. I'll read it. It says, the Lord has appeared to, of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, it's with loving kindness I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you will be built, O virgin of Israel. So in other words, God has an everlasting love for Israel and the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, here we just got done reading in Revelation that those who are of the assembly of Satan have to come and worship before their feet. Look at where he gets that from. From Isaiah chapter 49, verse 22 and 23. It says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to who? To the Gentiles. I will set up my standard to the people and they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. Kings will be your nursing fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. Here it is. They shall bow down to you with their faces toward the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. (laughs) Wow. And you're going to know that I'm the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. Right there, it talks about the non-Jews, especially those who attack Israel. Okay, especially those who want to replace Israel, especially those who say God doesn't love you anymore. Look at Micah 7, 16 through 20. The nations are going to see and be confounded at all their might. They're going to lay their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They're going to be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you that pardons iniquity, passes by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? Who's his heritage? Israel. He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He'll turn again. He's going to have compassion. He'll subdue our iniquities and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Everyone knows that verse, but they don't realize that it goes back and talk about those nations who come against Israel. And I think it's interesting, in Genesis, the serpent was cursed to lick the dust. And here we see those of the assembly of Satan 
in Revelation get to eat dirt. He says, you're going to perform the truth to Jacob, the mercy to Abraham, which you've sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Uh, look at Isaiah 60, verse 14 and verse 25. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion or the Holy One of Israel, whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through. I'm going to make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. He's speaking to the nation of Israel here, to the Jewish people. If you remember in the verse we just read, uh, he talked in Micah 7, 16 through 20, it says again, who is a God like you that pardons iniquity, passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Who's his heritage? Well, let's go to Joel chapter 3, verse 2 on your notes. God says, I'm going to gather all the nations. I'm going to bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into a judgment with them for my people, for my heritage, Israel whom they have scattered among the nations, and they've divided my land. God is going to judge those who divide the land. It doesn't matter who the president is, uh, who the president of any nation is. If in these last days they try to divide the nation of Israel and create a Palestinian capital, it, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. That's what this is saying. This is a future that hasn't happened. We know Israel is still God's heritage, and all the nations, this is why... In the Gospels, it talks about the separation of the sheep from the goats. Those are not individuals. Those are nations. You go back and look. He's speaking to goat nations and sheep nations. And so look at Revelation 3, 10 and 11. Because he says, you've kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which is going to come upon the entire world to try all those who dwell on the earth and behold, how am I coming? There it is from this morning. Hold fast what you have that no one take your crown. As far as the crown, look at Lamentations 5.16 here. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe unto us for we have sinned. You want to hold fast to your crown? You need to guard your heart. As a matter of fact, look at Isaiah chapter 24, verse 17 through 23. Terror and the pit and the trap are coming upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. This is referring to that great hour of temptation that's coming. And it will come to pass, whoever flees from the noise of the terror is going to fall in the pit. And whoever comes up out of the midst of the pit is going to be taken in the trap. For the windows on high are opened. The foundations of the earth are shaking. The earth is broken broken down. The earth is crumbled in pieces. The earth trembles and totters. The earth is reeling to and fro like a drunkard and sways to and fro as a lodge and the transgression is heavy upon it. It'll fall and not rise again. How many of you ever been in an earthquake? How many of you ever been in a big earthquake? How many of you know it's no fun? You feel powerless, don't you? Yeah, and I mentioned this before, but I was in the crawl space under a house when a big one hit. Uh, I was up in like Port Orchard area. It was right by the water. The house was like right by the water. And it's like, get me out of here. Can you imagine if the whole earth is reeling to and fro? Okay. It says it'll come to pass in that day. The Lord is going to punish the host of the high heaven on high, the kings of the earth on the earth. They'll be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the dungeon. 
They shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days they'll be punished. Then the man, the moon, then the moon will be confounded, the sun is shamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and before his elders shall be glory. Can you believe that? It says the yud heh vav the Lord of hosts, is going to be seen in Mount Zion. And so look what he says to the assembly of Philadelphia in Revelation 3, 12 and 13. Whoever overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. I think it's fascinating. Here John is writing about people becoming a pillar in the temple. Where does he get that from? Well, let's go back to 1 Kings 7, 21 and 22. Here in the temple, he set up what? Pillars. At the vestibule of the temple, he set up the pillar on the south and called its name Yachin. And he set up the pillar on the north and called its name Boaz. And on the tops of the pillars was lily work. Thus the work of the pillars were finished. And so we need to realize, again, everything in heaven is what was made on earth. And so in heaven, the different objects are people. Okay, that's why the heavenly Jerusalem comes down with all these stones. We are lively stones. In one sense, the temple, the walls, the curtains, everything is made up of people. That's amazing. Look at Psalm 87, 5 and 6. And of Zion, it will be said, oh, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the nations. Oh, this one was born there. I believe this refers to being born again. I believe in one sense this is speaking when you're born again, your name is recorded in the temple. That's what this is referring to. Oh, this one was born there. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah, let's look at chapter 62, verse 2 and 3 concerning crowns. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And look, here it is. You shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You become a crown. Okay. And not only that, I think it's fascinating that where does John get this idea of a new name? From Isaiah. And here it says you're going to be a royal diadem in the hand of your God. I can just see his crown made up of all these royal diadems. Look at Malachi. This is one of my favorite verses, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord, he heard it. Hey, they're talking about me. And the book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and those that were thinking about his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I do what? Make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. In Corinthians, it talks about how do we build, with wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones? In one sense, we are uh, clay in the potter's hand, but we're also silver and gold in the refiner's hand who's purifying us. We, we are becoming 
As much as we submit to the Lord, the gold and the silver that will be in the crowns, the jewels in the new Jerusalem as it comes down. So when we look at Philadelphia, the church of, or the assembly at Philadelphia, who's speaking to them? The one who's holy, the one who's true, who has the key of David. And he says, I know your works and open doors before you. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. You've kept the word of my patience. You'll be kept from the hour of temptation. Remember the Our Father? You know the prayer? Lead us not into temptation. Was like, keep me from this hour of temptation that's coming on the whole world. And then we see the assembly of Satan is going to worship at your feet. Whoever overcomes, we made a pillar in the temple. They'll get a new name of God written upon them and receive his new name. Then we come to the assembly of Laodicea. In Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the assembly of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Does anyone know what Laodicea means in English? I'll say it in one word, and, and then I'll define it. Well, I'll say it the other way first. Okay. It basically, Laodicea means democracy. It, it, it literally, it means let the people decide. We're not going to do what God wants to do. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes. The church of Laodicea literally means let the people decide. Fascinating. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 42, verse 5. Okay, we just saw in Revelation, the one who's speaking is the faithful and true witness. Wow, where does John get the idea of a faithful and true witness? Hmm, how about Jeremiah? Then they said to Jeremiah, the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we don't do according to all things from which the Lord thy God shall send you to us. They know God is the true and faithful witness. Revelation three fifteen and 16, God tells the assembly at Laodicea, I know your works and guess what? You're not cold or hot. I would you be cold or hot because you're just lukewarm and you're not cold or hot. I will spew you out of my mouth. Wow. God doesn't like lukewarm. Sometimes lukewarm speaks of making everybody happy. Is, who do we want to make happy? Do you want to make God happy or make everybody else happy? Uh, and I think that's where we're uh, at today. We are, we are a lukewarm society where we, for heaven's sake, we don't want to offend anybody. We, we either, God would rather you be cold and he knows where you're at than lukewarm. Verse 17, look at this. Because you say, I am rich, increased with goods. I don't have need of anything. But guess what? You don't know you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you are naked. I wonder where John got that from. How about Hosea 12, verse 8? And Ephraim said, yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find no iniquity in me that works it. Here we see this group of people, they are an assembly. They don't even think they've sinned, that they have no iniquity, and that they think they're, we're rich, we got everything we need. Guess what? You don't have God. I would rather have nothing in him. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Look at verse 7 and 8. This is what Solomon said. I can't help but think of Solomon when I think of this assembly. He goes, look, I got me servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and other provinces. So I was great. I mean, here's this guy that thinks he's great. He has all the wealth. He has all the fame. He has all the power. And yet what? He was really poor, blind, 
wretched. He didn't have God. So what does God say to do? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, he says, you better buy of me gold that's been tried in the fire that you really may be rich. You better buy some white raiment. And the white raiment speaks of what? Righteousness of the saints that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness doesn't appear. Then you better anoint your eyes with eye salve that you can really see. I mean, sometimes we say we see, but we don't see. Do you see what I mean? I see. <laughs> Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13. This is one of the verses I was referring to earlier. If anyone build upon this foundation, Yeshua, with gold, silver, precious stones, maybe you're going to build with wood, hay, and stubble, but every man's work will be made manifest for that day, we'll declare it, because it'll be revealed by fire, and the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. There's a fire coming. God destroyed the world with water. The second time, he's going to destroy it with fire. But guess what? If you're gold, silver, precious stone, the fire doesn't hurt. It just reshapes you and refines you. And so what we have to be concerned about is what are we building with? What are we? We literally are forming ourselves. And what material are we using? Well, it's all going to be tried by fire. Everything will be. Look at Job 23.10. What does he say? But he knows the way that I take when he has tried me. I shall come forth as what? Okay. So this is a biblical principle. We all are going to be tried by fire. Every single one of us. And if we have anything, then that's great. If we don't have anything, we may be saved like it says in Corinthians, but we'll have nothing to show for it. This is why in verse 19 and 20, he says to the Laodicean church, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, well, before I go there, look at that. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. How many after you have been rebuked or chastened said, gee, you sure love me? <laughs> and no one happened, does it? <clears throat> but we know with God, it's always disinterested. He, he does it for our good. That's when he does it. Matter of fact, let's go back to Job verse Five or chapter five or seventeen and eighteen. Oh no! I uh, let me go on. Wait, before I do that, I got to finish this verse. Revelation three nineteen and twenty. Then he says, "Be zealous, therefore, and repent." Now look at this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Okay, for almost everybody, it's the sinner's prayer, the salvation prayer. I'm standing at the door knocking. Would you open your heart to Jesus? You know, he's knocking at the door of the church. He's not knocking at the door of an unbeliever. The verse where he's standing at the door knocking is at the church, and they're saying, he's saying, hello, and they're saying, leave us alone, we're having church. He's out there knocking on the door of a church, and they're having church without him and don't even know he's gone. That's the state of this church. And he says, if anyone hears, and what is here, what's the Hebrew word for here? Which really means here and see, they, they were hearing, but they weren't obeying. You've got to do both. And he opens the door. Guess what? We're going to have dinner together. Now let's look at Job 5, 17 and 18. Behold, happy is the man whom God, what? Gee, I'm so happy today. <laughs> okay, therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty because he makes you sore. But guess what else? He binds you back up. He wounds, but then his hands make you whole. That's why it's better to fall on the stone than to let the stone fall on you. 
Song of Songs. Here it is. The Song of Songs. This is so horrible. Chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. In Laodicean church, what did he say? He's speaking to the church. He says, I'm standing at the door knocking. Please open up, right? Where does he get that from? He gets it from the Song of Songs. Look at chapter 5, 2 and 3. The bride is asleep. Now, one thing that's interesting, this word for sleep here isn't now I lay me down to sleep. In Hebrew, this is the same Hebrew word for those who sleep in the dust of the earth sleep. So this bride here is at the point of death. And she says, oh, but my heart's still ticking. And then she says, oh, I hear the voice of my beloved that is knocking. Well, you don't see this in English, but that is not the word knock in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's to be beating and pounding on the door like you're trying to wake someone up because the house is on fire. That's what this Hebrew word for knock is here. It's not rap. It's to beat down the door. So in other words, here she is in the house, just about dead, and he's pounding on the door trying to wake her up, almost like he's trying to do CPR. And look at this. She says she hears him beating on the door. And if you're beating on the door, that means that you want the door to open, right? When he says, I stand at the door, knock. I almost wonder in the Greek if that implies pounding on the door. But look at this. He says, the groom is saying to the bride, open a door. My sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. He's speaking to the bride. He says, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. In other words, it is pouring down rain. But guess what? He doesn't want her to open the door so he can come in out of the rain. He wants her to open the door so she can come out and enjoy the rain. The rain speak of the blessings of God. And she, like the church, people get Stuck in the church, they don't want to go out, they don't want to witness, they don't want to evangelize, they want to just stay in the safe doors, they don't want to tell anybody, and that's kind of the state of her. And he says, it's raining. And what is, what is her response? She goes, what? I've taken off my coat. You want me to put it back on again? I've washed my feet. You want me to get them dirty outside in the mud? Oh my gosh. It, it goes on. I don't have the verse here, but I'll just quote it to you. Basically, it says, finally, she gets up, and she has to get all gussied up and pull all kinds of fancy oil and myrrh. And finally, she gets to the door. She opens the door, and he's gone. Okay? So you have to respond when he knocks. But it goes on to say, she reached for the handles of the lock. Not only was the door shut, it was barred, so he couldn't even break the door down. She not only wasn't interested in, she wasn't looking out the window waiting for her groom to come. She was sleeping, and she locked the door. Not only did she not want to go out and work the harvest, she didn't want anyone to come in and hear it either. But that's the Laodicean church right there. That's the Laodicean church. And so in Revelation 3, 21 and 22, to him that overcomes, he says to the Laodicean church, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my father in his throne, Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, we're talking about his throne. How big is his throne? Let's think about his throne for a minute. Look at Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, the heavens are my throne. 
The earth is my footstool. So where in the world are you going to build me a house? And where is the place of my rest? All those things my hand have made and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. So here we see what is his throne. Can we sit in his throne with him if it's heaven? Okay. Well, guess what? He gets more specific. Look at this next verse in Jeremiah 3, 17 and 18. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem what? Oh, my goodness. Jerusalem is his throne. That got it narrowed down from heaven, clear down. But where does Jerusalem come from? Heaven. And it comes down to earth. And his throne, Jerusalem is the throne. Do you see why there's a big battle over Jerusalem right now? Who's going to sit on the throne? That's why they, the devil wants to divide Jerusalem. He doesn't want Jerusalem to be the throne of the Lord. And the devil always overplays his hand. It says, matter of fact, all the nations are going to be gathered to Jerusalem, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither will they walk anymore after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah is going to walk with the house of Israel. And they're going to come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. All right. So we see the throne of heaven. Then we see it narrowed down on earth because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. His throne's in the heavens and his throne is on earth in Jerusalem. And then in Revelation 4.1, it says after this, oh wait, before I go there, let's look at the assembly of Laodicea. So let's summarize that. These things, he says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know your works. You're not cold or hot. And I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You say you're rich. You have need of nothing, but you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, white raiment, anoint your eyes with eyes, be zealous, repent. And then he says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears and opens the door, we'll have a meal together. Whoever overcomes will sit with me where? In my throne. So let's summarize the seven churches. Of Revelation. Okay, we've got the very first one, Ephesus. They lost their first love, but at least they hate the doctrine of the lawless church. Smyrna, they have people who masquerade, uh, their hypocrites are attending their congregation. Pergamum, Satan's dwelling place, they believe in merging paganism with Christianity or syncretism, and they also have those who are lawless. Thyatira, the church that accepts false prophets. Uh, and they also teach syncretism or lawlessness. Sardis, they're the church of the social gospel, promoting their own agenda, not God's agenda. Philadelphia is the church of the open door. Run! And then finally, Laodicea is the sleeping church. Okay? So that kind of summarizes the seven churches of Revelation. But then, what do we find in Revelation 4 now? Now, here's what's interesting. If you remember... In Revelation 1 through 3, it's all about the menorah, right? We see seven stars, seven spirits, seven churches, okay? Where is the menorah in the tabernacle? In the holy place, right? When you're going into Moses' tabernacle, the first thing you see is a brazen altar, right? Well, if you have the door, then you have the brazen altar. Then you have the laver. Then you go into the holy place, and what's in the holy place? The menorah, the altar of incense, and the table of showbread. Okay? Where is he in Revelation 1 through 3? He's in Moses' tabernacle. He's in the temple. He's looking at the menorah. And then he turns 
A door opens in Revelation 4.1 after this, after what? Looking at the menorah. I looked and behold, a door or let's say a curtain was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a shofar talking with me. And he said, come up here and I'll show you what things must be here after. Now look at this in Revelation 4, 2 and 3. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one is sitting on the throne and he that uh, set was to look upon it like jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. Well, I think what's fascinating in the tabernacle or in the temple, when you go from the menorah and the curtain opens, what happens? There's a throne, the altar, the Ark of the Covenant is God's mercy seat. So God, he turns from the holy place. Now in Revelation 4, he's in the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That is God's throne. He's sitting there. There's these seven candle menorah. Uh, you have thunder and you have lightning flashing and you have a shofar. Uh, so uh, this is where we go. And what do we find in Revelation 4, 4 around the throne? There were also uh, 24 seats. And on the seats, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads what? Crowns of gold. There they are. Now, look at Revelation 4, 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunder and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are what? Okay, so this is what he is seeing here. Oh, I'm going to be going into that next week. Hmm. Do you know what those flashes of lightning are? They're not flashes of lightning. When you connect your dots, we're going to do that next week. You're going to see what the flashes of lightning really are. Okay. <laughs> Look at Revelation 4, 6. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass likened to crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. We're going to look at those next week. And in Revelation 4, 7, and 8, the first beast was like a lion. The second beast was like a calf. The third beast had the face of a man. The fourth beast like a flying eagle. The four beasts each had six wings. They were full of eyes. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Did you know Daniel had that same vision? Ezekiel had the same vision. We're going to look at that next week. Look at verse 9 through 11. See, Revelation 4 and 5 are all about the Holy of Holies. It's all about the throne. Look at 9 through 11. When those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him that sits on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, power, for you have created all things and for your pleasure they are and were created. I think it's interesting, the last church, Laodicea, he talks about, this is the one who creates all things. And then all of a sudden, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, what do we see? We see the throne room, the Holy of Holies. That's where we're headed. So as you see the book of Revelation, it's a revelation of heaven. And the tabernacle on earth was patterned after it. So with that said, let's stand and let's pray. Get ready for the ride of your life next week as we take a trip into the Holy of Holies. And look at the throne. It's all about the throne, chapter 4 and 5. So 1 through 3, 
is about the menorah in the holy place, four and five, or about the holy of holies in the throne of God. And then from there, we'll see what unfolds. Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King, we just thank you so much for everything that you are showing us and revealing to us. And we just pray, Lord, you would open our eyes that we could see this next year. May we have 2020 spiritual vision as well as physical vision. In Yeshua's name, amen. Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild, Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before.